Welcome to Tanya in Real Life. We're continuing with chapter 12. And it's actually the first of the, the first time that we're doing something in three parts. This is the second part of chapter 12. And we're not even finished the chapter because I'm really doing this in depth because there's so much. There's really a wealth of insight and inspiration and um, such great tools here. So let's jump in. Last week, we started talking about what a Bainini is and what it's like to be a Bainini, right? And we said that inside um, a Bainini, the Nefesh kiss and the Nefesh Bahamas, both of our two selves are in a constant state of battle. We get very conflict conflicting ideas pop into our minds and conflicting, we have our heart gets pulled in all kinds of directions. But a Bainini is somebody who's able to master the emotions and master his mind in a way that really makes the neshama in charge. Um, a Bainini gets triggered into ego and a mindset of by myself, with myself, for Hashem, but, a bain, but, but we can keep moving back into the behavior, on, at least on a behavioral level, um, a Bainini never, never diverts from by Hashem, with Hashem, for Hashem. You know, we talked last week about the Nikra Alav Shem Rasha, Right, that a Bainini is someone who is never called by the name Russia, even one hour or one moment of his entire life. And we talked a little bit about, we talked a lot about what that means, right? Um, I want to just add something to that for a minute, but first a quick review. Usually when we slip into a pattern of, of behavior, we identify ourselves by that behavior. We feel connected with that behavior. We like, I am a yeller. I am a person who, I am sloppy. I am disorganized. I am com obsessive compulsive. I am passive aggressive. I am, we, we all are into labeling ourselves in, by our behavior. To be a Bainini, we really need to stop defining ourselves by anything other than then Hashem's awesomeness, then our neshama, right? shame Russia. We have to stop defining ourselves by anything other than our deepest truth, which is our oneness, our absolute oneness um, and connection with Hashem. Because what is a Russia? A Russia is not, we're not, when the Balatanya uses the word Russia, he doesn't necessarily mean criminal, a bad person, a murderer, a thief, a goslin. It means a person who sees himself or herself as an individual who could divert from Hashem's truth. There's Hashem and then there's me, right? There's Hashem and Movada, and then I also get to decide what matters and who matters and why it matters and what I'm going to do first, right? We're not, we don't surrender to Hashem's truth. We, we, feel, we, we feel separate from it. That is the definition of a Russia. And honestly, most of us fit into that category. I mean, I, I know that I do. I could see myself as a person who sometimes diverts from Hashem's truth. Because living as we do in Gullus, we are somewhat comfortable by the state, by the reality of our lack of awareness of Hashem. We look at that lack of awareness and we say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lie. I'm going to be anxious and I'm going to act on that anxiety. And I'm going to act on my fears and my insecurities and my doubts. And I'm going to call myself names. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. We, we, we surrender to the reality of gullus. 
We surrender to Hashem's hiddenness and we become comfortable with that. We become comfortable with our lack of consciousness of Hashem. And in calling this comfort zone a Russia, the Baal Tanya is actually waking us up to the truth that this is not where we belong. We don't want to be identifying ourselves as people who could divert from Hashem's truth. We don't want to be comfortable in, in the state of non-awareness, in the state of unconsciousness of Hashem's truth. We want to, be, we, we belong in truth. We belong with Hashem. We belong in Geula, right? It's only a gullus mindset that makes us comfortable with the lack of awareness of Hashem. So to be a Bainani, what we really need to do is to stop being comfortable with that lack of our awareness. We want to live with eyes that are fully open, open our eyes, open our eyes to what? To the truth of Hashem, to the truth of who we are in, in, in light of Hashem's truth. And, and with this, the Baal Tanya is teaching us to go for the gold, okay? To really not just settle for Gullus, but to go for Geula, to define ourselves by Hashem's truth and to act on our awareness of the truth. Like when you know with certainty that there's a certain, that, there, that this object is poisonous, you don't keep it in your refrigerator, you know, right? You don't keep it in your refrigerator where you're gonna eat it or you might make a mistake. If something is deathly poisonous, you throw it in the garbage, right? The Balatanya wants us to look at diversion from Hashem's truth as spiritually, emotionally, psychologically toxic poison that we don't want to have anything to do with. Because most of us take that you know, approach by myself, with myself, for myself, or possibility for diversion from Hashem's truth. And we're like, you know what? It's not where I want to be, but Monday and Thursday, once in a while, you know, we kind of resign to the reality that we're gonna divert from Hashem's truth. And really that is a Russia. We don't want to accept that. We don't, we don't want to tolerate that. Now that doesn't mean that we should go beat ourselves up for when we do slip up because we, we, we probably will. Because <laughs> the fact is to be a Bainani is an Avaida. It's a lifetime Avaida. And it's a, and it's a very, very, um, it's an all encompassing Avaida. And to be that way all the time and to, to beat ourselves up when we're not would be hurting ourselves, would be the opposite. And we'll see later in Tanya how the Sahara really could hijack even our desire to be a Bainani and get us to use that against us, right? To make us depressed. Oh, now I have another reason to be angry at myself. I'm an idiot, I'm a lowlife, and I'm a failure, and I'm even a Russia. But love shame Russia, Afilusha Achas means even if we slip, don't call yourself bad names because the minute you call yourself that bad name, that makes it even worse. At the same time, let's realize that to be com we don't wanna be comfortable with lack of awareness. We really wanna go for the gold. We want to be a Bainani. It's possible. Maybe it's not possible forever, but one moment at a time, this minute, we could show up to our lives as a Bainani. And as I was thinking about this on Shabbos, I, I, I thought about something that, you know, as we walk into this level of awareness, it is also helpful to rewrite the stories of our past because our past very much influences how we see ourselves today. When you faced unpleasantness or even trauma in your childhood, what stories did you tell yourself about yourself, right? 
where in your past did you see yourself as what I'm going to call a Russia? Meaning where in your past did you see yourself as, I'm going to translate Russia in this context as someone who is separate, independent of Hashem, self-sufficient, an individual alone in this world. Where in your past did you see yourself unprotected, unloved, insecure, alone, without Hashem, without that absolute oneness with Hashem? We all have such stories. And we made up commentary about those stories. And very often the commentary that we made up about ourselves are, are very much, they, they have such a big influence in our lives. So you know, as we walk into awareness of Hashem's absolute truth, it is also helpful to look back at our stories of our childhood, of our trauma, of different things that happened to us. What stories did you tell yourself about yourself? And it's a good idea to rewrite those stories, even the past stories, in the light of Hashem's truth, in the light of your truth, your true value. And that can give us a lot of strength in showing up today in really with our neshama shining forth in all its glory, because we can let go of so much negativity, so much toxicity, so much labels that maybe we never even realized that we are carrying so many un, unhealthy beliefs about ourselves, about other people, beliefs that actually deny Hashem's truth, deny the truth of who we are and what our life is all about. Okay, so that was just a side point. Let's go back to the text of the Tanya. How do we develop this full-fledged, steady, consistent, absolute awareness of Hashem's truth so that, and with that awareness comes commitment, right? Because when you see something with absolute certainty, the commitment to act according to the truth comes right along. It's a natural part. It, it, it flows naturally from awareness, naturally flows commitment. How do we develop this? We talked about it also last week. The Baal Tanya tells us that the time of Kriyashma and Tfilas Shachris, there is a state of Moichen de Gadlos above. And what that means is, I said, we'll talk about it this week, within the, remember we said that our Neshama derives from the 10 spheres above in Shemayim. So those 10 super, supernal spheres, Eser spheres Melamayla, what happens, Moichen de Gadlos is a state of being where the intellectual spheres, the knowledge and awareness of Hashem have greater strength, they're more dominant. And with that, they have a greater impact on the emotional quality. So the Chachma Bina Das is radiant, um, stronger, more dominant, and that has an impact on the emotions that's greater than regular, than, than more than average. And that's called Meichin de Gadlus, where the intellectual strengths are stronger and have a very big, a greater impact on the emotions. So this happens every single day during the time of Kriyas Shema and Shachris in Shemayim, the heavenly spheres, um, the Chachma Das. there's a time of what we call Meichen de Gadlos, where the supernal intellectual strengths are more dominant. And because this is happening above, it directly influences each and every one of our neshamas, each and every one of us on a personal level, have this, this time, something's happening within our neshama where we have that opportunity 
for our intellectual powers to have an impact on our emotion. And that's called Meichen de Godless. The time of Kriya Shema and Shachris, is, to say it in simplest words, is an opportune time for us to have a clear mind and by, with that influence our hearts, our emotions, and bring our emotions on board with our awareness of Hashem's truth. So let's read those lines inside. I put these words in the notes, so just easier to follow. Shas Kriya O Tfila Shehi Shas Meichen de Godless Amayla, the time of Tfila. Kriya Shema, saying Shema and davening in the morning are, it's a time of Meichen the godless above. Vigam Lamata, and because that's what's happening above, Vigam Lamata, down here in this world, it's an opportune time for each and every one of us. What is an opportune time for? To do that, to act on it, to utilize our Chachma Binadas with greater strength to actually make a difference. It's like the doors are open and now we have to walk in, walk through those doors and use it to our benefit. So how do we use it? How do we benefit from the Shas Meichen de Godless Lamaila, the time of Meichen de Godless above? Mikasher Chachma Bin Adas Hashem. We bind our minds. We connect. We, we become one. We take our intellectual strength, we focus our attention and really connect intellectually with Hashem. Laha mikdaitai, to really um, delve deeply with all our attention. Bigdulas ein seifarchu, on the greatness of Hashem. And by the way, the words of davening directly support this. So even though throughout the day we daven, we say our own words, the words of davening as they are written, just reflecting on Hashem's awesomeness and how Hashem takes care of every detail in the world. The whole Pesuke de Zimra, every, it's all about Hashem's awesomeness. And as we move into Ber Hashma, it's all about how the Malachim are praising Hashem and the awesomeness of that scene. And we literally paint a picture in our minds. Why? So that when we really think about what we're saying and the meaning and the impact of those words that we're saying, it arouses a feeling in our hearts. What does it do? It arouses a sense of love for Hashem. Kirishpe Eish. Sorry, it says us. It's supposed to be Eish. Kirishpe Eish. Bechlal Hayamini Shabaliba in the right side of our hearts. Ladafka Bai Bikiyam Hatarim Mitzvah Me'ava. And then we want to connect with Hashem. We want to cleave to Hashem. Like, wow, Hashem is so awesome. And we get to Shema. And we realize, we get to right before Shema, what do we say? We say Hashem with all his awesomeness and all these malachim, who did he choose? Who does he want to have a relationship with? It's little me. It's little each and every one of us that Hashem wants to have a relationship with us. And when we realize the love that Hashem has for us and the value that he has for us, we feel a sense of reciprocal love. And, and that, so that's the opportune time. And that's the avoda of davening in a nutshell. It's to really think about Hashem and to personalize those thoughts until we develop an, a, a sense of love and value and appreciation and connection and oneness. I'm going to skip the next couple of lines in the text. We always have that inherent possibility for disconnection or that illusion of disconnection, right? It's not, it's, we can't actually disconnect, but we have this illusion and the delusion of that we could possibly disconnect, that it's possible for us to divert from Hashem, that we are actually maybe not one with Hashem. We're independent, self-sufficient, 
by myself. I'm alone in this world with myself. I got to stand up only for myself and do, you know, form everything for myself. Okay. So we have that tendency, but because during governing, our awareness of Hashem is so clear and it's front and center in our minds, all possibility for anything else slips away. It fades away into the background. And I'm sure many of you have had this experience where, and maybe it wasn't throughout the davening and maybe it wasn't through every day, but maybe you've had one moment, one time, one experience where like you really got to a place of clarity in your mind where it was like, Hashem, I know you're true. I know my neshama is true. And I will never, it's so clear to me, I will never, I will never divert from this truth. I will never let it go. I won't ever let go, you know, from this truth. I will always keep it front and center in my mind. That, that does something to us, okay? Um, usually on a regular day, you know, the spotlight, you know, I always talk about the spotlight in our mind, right? When Balatani is talking in chapter three about Das, talks about the yiska machshaftai, fixate your thoughts, fixate your thoughts. What is that? What are you fixating? What is that, right? There's a spotlight in our minds and we have, we can fixate that spotlight on any topic, on any idea, on any problem, on any solution, on whatever we want. So usually we have so many things flitting in and out of that spotlight. We have our bills, we have our problems. We have the holes that need to be fixed. We have the, you know, the fears, the anxieties, the compulsions, the, all that stuff, the weaknesses, all the challenges and um, that get in our way. And we value things um, that have less importance than, than, and less value than our bigger picture. We, this is, this is the nature of being human, right? But what we're doing during davening is we're zooming in on Hashem's greatness, on Hashem's awesomeness. And with that, it's like, okay, this is really what matters. This and, and, and this picture is going to change how we see everything else. After davening, something else happens. <laughs> the Baal Tanya tells us that something else happens. The Benini closes the Siddur. We walk away and during davening, we had that spotlight fixated on Hashem, on his truth, on his awesomeness, on his love for us. And we had clarity and we had a sense of love for Hashem. And we had a sense of purpose and commitment and strength. And now we can go into our day with a sense of strength. But the problem is we walk away from the Siddur, we close the Siddur and we walk right into, um, we walk right into our problems. Rabbi, Rabbi Naftali Silverberg told a story, not in connection with this chapter, but such a great story. He talked about how a person was meditating the entire night about Hashem's awesomeness, right? A whole night, there's nobody but Hashem. Only Hashem is in charge of the world. Everything comes from Hashem, you know? Um, and he woke up in the morning and he bumped into this wall. And from a place of, you know, only Hashem is in this world. Only Hashem is in charge. But he's like, only Hashem is in charge. And Hashem does everything. And there's nobody but Hashem and this wall. <laughs> you know, like he got angry at the wall. What a stupid wall. You know, it's the same thing. We daven. Hashem is true. I'm committed to stay attached to that truth. I recognize that anything other than that is a delusion. I am committed to my truth, you know, that I have this value 
that I am not a mistake. No matter what mistakes I might make throughout this day, I have value, respectability. My past doesn't define me. Nothing defines me. Only Hashem and his truth defines me. And this moment is all that matters. But then we close the Siddur and we walk away and we bump into walls. And we say, yeah, and this wall and this problem and this bill that I have to pay and this challenge that I have. And, it, and we get triggered in all different, you know, in every way possible. Our, our Yetzirah, our animal self puts all kinds of thoughts in our mind and our heart. And, and from there we could ask, so what was the point of davening? Was the davening just an escape? Was it a temporary relief? like a medication, you know, like a spiritual form of medication. And if davening doesn't give us a permanent quote unquote fix, then why is that the main tool of the Bainani? How do we stay connected? How do we have the courage to stay true to Hashem's reality throughout the rest of the day? In what way is davening a tool, even though right after we walk away from davening, our Yetzirah and our animal self is right back in business, pulling the strings of our heart in every single direction. How does davening still help us? And, and the answer is that davening is still the answer. Davening is still the answer. Tefillah is still the answer because even though we will still get triggered, we have so much more clarity. And I feel like we talked about this a little bit more, a, bit, a little bit last week. Remember the story of Azman Chaptich, right? And we said that while we're davening, what we're doing is we're actually, the clarity means that we have a red light flashing in our minds whenever we divert from the truth. That red light is going to flash. And the more clarity we have, the brighter that red light flashes when we, when we divert from the truth. That's what we accomplish during Davani. We get that clarity. And with that clarity comes a commitment. So even though we're triggered, right, we're going to feel the struggle we feel the struggle, but we recognize that it's just a struggle. We don't get swallowed up by it. We don't start identifying ourselves by it. We know the truth. We know that it's just a struggle. It's a bunch of hot air. You know, it's not who I really am. It's not my king that I must obey. We don't have to obey it actually at all. I know that it's gonna be there. It's gonna make a lot of noise. It's going to be, it might even be frustrating. It might take energy to stay focused. It's going to, not just it might, it will. But it's not my king. I don't have to listen to it at all. Even if my clarity becomes clouded, you know, because other things are popping into my mind. So that's, that's clouding my clarity, clouding my vision of what really matters to me. But still, my commitment will stay strong. And the Baal Tanya doesn't just tell us this as a reassurance. He tells us the science behind the effectiveness of the clarity and commitment that we attain during tefillah. And the scientific principle is so important. We're going to read it. I put it, I wrote out the first, in, in the notes, I wrote it out, quoting from the Tanya. What's the scientific principle that makes davening a permanent change, a permanent not just a relief, not just a temporary relief, but does something permanently to us and has a, a day-long and a lifelong impact on, on us. Why? Because, because a person's mind 
has dominance over our heart naturally from the way we are formed. It's just, it's not a strategy. It's not a tool. This is part of the scientific nature of a, bi a, bio a biological fact. Because this is how a person is created. Every person is capable with the willpower of his mind to hold back, to restrain ourselves and to control in the spirit of of taiva. How do you how do you translate taiva? You know the desires, the all the things that we get pulled into temptation in our heart, and it doesn't mean just temptation for pleasure, but it means the temptation to indulge in self pity and misery and resentment and all kinds of abuse, <laughs> self abuse, and and uh, from there it goes to other people. We have the ability not to act on everywhere our heart pulls us. We, just because our heart is pulling us there doesn't mean we have to do it. And it's interesting that here, the Baltanya uses the order. Usually it's first goes thought, then goes speech, and then goes action. Because first we have the thought. Then we speak about it and then we and then it comes to action. But when it comes to self-control, the easiest thing to control is our behavior, our action. The next, you know, easiest thing is is our speech. And, and the most difficult thing to control is our thoughts. So So not to fulfill our heart, first our action, then our speech, then our legamri. To completely turn away our attention from the desires of our heart, from wherever those impulses and tendencies and habits and all that stuff, and go completely in the opposite direction. What is the Baal Tanya telling us here? He's saying that when we have emotions, naturally we feel that we must obey them. We feel that we have to obey. If this is how I feel, then this is how I'm going to do. But scientifically, our heart actually has zero control over our behaviors. And knowing this gives us a sense of responsibility to take charge of our behavior. It feels like you need to listen to it, but you don't. There's actually no science that tells you that you must obey what your heart feels. It's okay. You can let it pass. You could breathe through it. And, and get by this moment without actually acting on whatever, wherever your heart is pulling you. Because every single thing that we do is controlled by one part of our body and it's not our heart, it's our mind. Mayach Shalat Ahalevs is a scientific principle. It's that our mind is what controls our bodies, not our hearts. So our body cannot do a thing without our minds permitting the behavior. And the bottom line of this is that if something is unthinkable to us, we will never do it. And this is a unique thing that the Balatan is teaching us because in American culture, we all believe very much that our tendencies, our desires, and our impulses control our behavior. Mayach Shalat Ahalev means that this concept is a lie. We are actually not compelled by our emotions. Our desires do not control us. They don't rule us. Our desires cannot dictate our behavior. They don't dictate our behavior. Our desires begin in our heart, definitely. 
and they make themselves heard in our minds and our bodies, but only our minds are our control towers. The heart cannot get what it wants without knocking on the door of the brain and getting permission from the brain. And, and, and our minds have to give permission. And this, and we give ourselves permission. It's fascinating. You cannot move your toes without your mind giving your body permission, without your mind giving it instructions to move. If someone has God forbid, suffers a brain injury, you know, somebody shared once on actually one of our talks here, one of our groups that she had brain surgery and she wanted to move her arm and she could not. She was willing herself to do it, but she couldn't because her brain at that moment, Baruch Hashem, she healed from it. But in that time, her brain, she was having a surgery and, it, and, and that part of her brain that controls her toes was not, was not active. And when that went offline, her ability to move her leg went offline. So, and we all have, we all know this, right? When our, it's our minds that control every single behavior that we do with or without our awareness, with or without our consciousness. So our first step in being a Benini, our first step in aligning ourselves with Hashem's absolute truth is aligning our behavior. It's getting our behavior on board. Don't worry about the rest of your body. Don't worry about your heart. You know, right now, the first thing is we want to do what's right by Hashem. A, a lovely story that illustrates this is in the shtetl, the children once arose around Purim time and they, for somehow there was alcohol, there was an alcoholic beverage, it was liquor and a little goat consumed liquor and the goat was drunk. And it was running all around and jumping and doing very wild stuff. And of course, all the children in the town were so excited. And they were like, whoa, he jumped over the gate and he did this to the moon and he twirled over on his head. They were shrieking at every move he took. An older man passed by and hearing all the noise and the tumult and the chaos, <laughs> the shrieking, you know, he was like, what's going on? And one of the kids pointed out, oh, that's the goat. And he just jumped. So everybody shrieked. And the, uh, and the older person who probably had a lot more important things on his mind, he's like, so he jumped. You know, so he jumped. I feel like that visual, you know, for me, when my heart wants something, it's like jumping out of control. I need this. I want it. I got to say this. I have to, you know what? Then there's my adult self that says that walks by and says, okay, so it wants okay you can let this pass you can breathe through it you know um i used to think and some of you might be thinking this as i used to think that this sounds like in a certain sense we're not taking our emotions seriously i i used to think this like you know why shouldn't i take myself seriously if i want something i should have it if i want to say something i should say it what am I gonna, you know, the American view of this is like, you know, if you hold it in, you're gonna be like a seltzer bottle and then you're gonna explode, right? And, and there might be some truth to that. You shouldn't just hold it in and, 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 you know, wait for the moment when you could possibly explode. We need more tools, not just to uh, suffocate ourselves, but to have tools to process things in a healthy way and to allow them to move through us, you know, not just to stuff it in, but, um, you know, 
ultimately, self-discipline and self-control is the greatest form of self-respect. Because we tend to think of respect as doing whatever we want. And this connects, by the way, to Pesach, because we think of freedom also as doing whatever we want. You know, can a person with a mortgage be free? Can a person with a marriage be free? We're not. We're tied down by responsibility. So what does it really mean to be free? What does it really mean to respect ourselves? It's not about doing whatever we want. If we want to truly respect ourselves, we want to show up to our lives minute by minute, day by day with our most beautiful self, with our true self shining forth. That's, that's how we respect ourselves. And our true self is not our impulses and desires. It's our neshama. It's the light of Hashem that we carry. It's our preciousness. It's our dignity. That dignity, that light, that part of Hashem within us is bigger and more precious than anything else about us. And the more we demonstrate respect for it in our behavior, the more we respect it in our hearts. It comes right back to us because we can't make ourselves into nothing but our emotions and then want to feel bigger than our emotions, right? If we want to feel more precious than our emotions, then we need to align ourselves with our truer self, with our deeper self. The more we value our true self, the more we want to act on our true self, right? But the more, it also works the other way. The more we act on our true self, the more we value ourselves in a more permanent, lasting, everlasting, true way. You know, I used to think I like the cake, therefore I should have it if I want it. Therefore, I should eat it. And then I would eat it, which is not good for me. It's actually destructive. So if you think, indul if I, I would think from a certain perspective that indulging myself might be the greatest kindness I could do for myself. But if that indulgence is hurtful to me, and for every person it's different, if that indulgence is going to hurt me, then it's actually not a kindness and it's not respectful of who I really am. Right. And it goes for thoughts as well. This thought popped into my mind. Right. This thought about the specific way in which a certain person spoke in, my, you know, a certain person in my life did something. It's wrong. Right. Now, it's an interesting thought when the thought about another person pops into our minds. Sometimes it's a very interesting thought. What were they thinking? What was going on? Why did they do this? You know how bad they are. Right? And I might be tempted to explore that thought. And, and then I think about it, which means that in that moment, what I'm really doing is I'm thinking, I'm analyzing, I'm pondering, I'm meditating about something negative about another person or about an organization or about an institution, whatever it is. And that's never, never a healthy activity, right? Other people's choices are not part of my divine service. It's not part of my purpose for which Hashem created for me. It's not part of by, my, by Hashem, with Hashem, for, my, for Hashem. It's, it's something other than Hashem. It's an interest that's outside of anything purposeful or meaningful, right? So every moment that I spend thinking about what other people are doing wrong is a moment in which I am distracted from my own choices. So respecting ourselves doesn't mean following whatever thoughts pop into our minds or whatever desires pop into our hearts. 
Respect means, yes, I want this. Yes, you know, yes, this thought popped into my mind, but I am a carrier of Hashem's light. I am a person who respects myself. And I don't do things that divert from my true self. I don't do anything that's not aligned with that truth. And that's how a Bainani thinks. And the science of how that works is that if something is unthinkable to us, we will never, ever do it. If it's unthinkable to me, I won't do it. And I'll just give you an example. Let's say you yell, right? If I yell, there's a part of my mind that believes it's okay to speak this way to other people. If I wouldn't think it's okay, I would never do it. I would never do it. And the proof is, if I would be, I'm, I'm angry, I'll never kill somebody. I'll never, never, God forbid, I would never, because it's unthinkable to me. Screaming at a person is thinkable to me, so I'm going to do it. Being obnoxious, being rude, being hurtful, that's thinkable to me, so I'm going to do it. If we want to change, we need to make our undesired habits unthinkable to us. I want to just backtrack for a moment and just put this out there. Many people learn Tanya and they say that Mayach Shalat Al-Halev is a strategy. It's a tool. If you don't want to do something, you know, willpower in your mind, think about it and, you know, control yourself. It's not a strategy. It's not a strategy. It's not a tool. It's a scientific fact. And when we try to use it as a strategy, we only hurt ourselves because then we feel bad that we're not good at doing Mayach Shalat Al-Halev. Mayach Shalat Al-Halev is not something that we do. It's something that is and if we want our mind like the work the strategy is davening why because during davening we're going to meditate we're going to contemplate we're going to really turn that spotlight in our minds to hashem's truth we're going to come to a place in our minds where we're really clear about hashem's awesomeness and about our commitment to stay true to that reality to hashem's truth that's the strategy. That's the work. The goal of Avaida Satsfila is to attain a state of clarity, to build up emotions in our heart based on the clarity of our mind. So much so that a diversion from the truth becomes unthinkable. That's the goal of davening. That, that diversion from Hashem should become unthinkable to me. And that's why Avaida Satsfila is the most important part of a Bainani. It's the most important strategy of all, of anything that a Bainani can do, it's the davening. Remember we learned the, about the Das in chapter three? Remember we learned about Das? So davening is the time of Das. And, and in the Balatanya's teachings and all his writings, the most central theme again and again and again is Avodas Tfila, the work of Tfila. Tfila is our greatest and most empowering and most impactful tool. And what makes Avaita Satvila so important and so effective is because there's a scientific principle that the more clear our mind is about a certain reality, the more it directs our behavior, right? Mayach Shalat is a scientific principle. It means that our mind has control over our hearts. Our hearts don't control our behaviors. Only our mind does. So Tvila is the time of day when we establish a commitment to Hashem's truth, which the Baal HaTanya calls the willpower, but it's really the desire of our mind. Ritzayinai, Tvila is the time when we establish the desire in our mind to be committed to Hashem in a way 
that any diversion from this truth becomes unthinkable to us. And this strategy, I just want to put this out there, this strategy, making your mind clear, so clear that a diversion from Hashem's truth becomes unthinkable. If you're feeling that this is not really talking to you, what I want to say about that is that this strategy is not all there is, okay? It's only enough for a person and for behaviors that we could get clarity about. So some benonim, right? Some individuals are able to attain perfect clarity in their minds. They can have this perfect clarity, which results in perfect behavior, right? Because if there's no room for it in our mind, there's no room for it in our behavior. The only way something is going to be expressed in our behavior is if there's some justification and reasoning and logical, you know, permission in our minds. So not every Bainani has this clarity. Okay. And for us, we can say we have this clarity about certain things, such as, for example, when it comes to the mitzvah of fasting on Yom Kippur, to sit down to a full fledged meal on Yom Kippur is unthinkable to many of us, right? It's unthinkable to us, but, and therefore we will never do it. It's not going to happen to pull the trigger, to physically hurt somebody, to slap another person across their face. It's unthinkable to us to yell at them. Eh, maybe I could do that. It's thinkable to me. Right. And, and, and when I say, maybe I could do that, that means I'm unclear in my mind. My mind is not a hundred percent clear about this. There's no absolute certainty. So me is, is only going to work in our favor when our mind has perfect clarity about what we want to do, right? If our mind is confused, then our behavior will be confused. And is therefore not a strategy. It's just a scientific principle. Because if my mind has conflicting ideas about whether or not it's okay to yell at somebody, then my behavior Sometimes I'll, I'll yell and sometimes I won't. And we need another strategy for that. And that we're going to learn in chapter 13. But I just wanted to put it out there that nobody should start feeling like, don't start beating yourselves up. Because to have perfect clarity is very, 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 very difficult. It's, it's easy to have perfect clarity about extreme behaviors. We all have kind of a red line that we will never cross. And then we have a comfort zone where we're kind of not sure and maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not really okay. It's kind of, we give ourselves permission to be unclear. You know, there was a guy who came to a rabbi and he said, I want to understand the Holocaust. Explain it to me. How could it have happened? How could have God allow, how could Hashem, how could God have allowed such atrocities, unspeakable tortures, unspeakable pain, unspeakable, tra unfathomable tragedy. How could Hashem have allowed it to happen? You know what the rabbi said? He said, if I explain it to you and both of us go to sleep at night and we could sleep more easily because we understand why God did it, how will you and I be different than the Nazis? Because they went to sleep and it made sense to them. They understood it. And because they understood it, they were able to perpetrate those atrocities. They were able to perpetrate those acts right? If we understand it, God forbid that we should ever make sense of it. God forbid that we should ever be able to say, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that yeah, I can kind of get that. I kind of, kind of makes sense to me. No, it has to be unthinkable to us 
because if something is thinkable to us, it's doable. And this is a scientific principle. If it's got, if there's room for it in my mind, there will be room for it in my behavior and in my action, in my relationships. So if you're engaging in a behavior, in a habit, it's just good to know that we're responsible for our behavior, okay? We're responsible for everything that we consciously think about, that we speak about, that we do. And the reason why we're doing anything, it's because on some level, in some way, our mind is allowing that behavior. When I let a thought into my mind, it's because I'm allowing that thought to sit in my mind. When I'm allowing myself to speak something, and that process might be subconscious, but it's there. So if we can see that permission playing itself out, then we can have, then we can take away that permission. But until we see that permission, we're kind of helpless. We're, we're, we, we surrendered to being out of control, but really the control belongs to us. The mastery, the handles of our mind really, really belong to us. So if you look at any habit that you have, any behavior, can you see where in your mind you're giving yourself permission? Where in your mind you decided that this behavior is understandable? You know, someone says, I always make a commitment every day, I'm not gonna gossip, but I know that I will. And then I do. Well, yeah, if you know that you will, you will, right? In order to really change a behavior, that behavior has to be unthinkable to us. And that's really very, very difficult to accomplish. It's a lot of work. And that's why in chapter 13, the Baal gives us other strategies for mastering our behavior and changing our habits. But right now, this is the first thing that we want to try to become aware. We're in our mind. We're in my mind. Am I justifying? Am I rationalizing? Am I explaining it? And thereby making it okay to do this. Okay. So let's review the strategy so far. And then the rest of these notes, we will, as Hashem, continue um, after Pesach. The first one is shame Russia. The first step to change is changing how we see ourselves, right? We want to change to a place of absolute connection and oneness that we do not ignore or reject. I am one with Hashem. I will never see myself. Anytime I, this label comes up to me, the Russia label, and by definition here, Russia means somebody who's disconnected from Hashem. Somebody who could be independent, self-sufficient, alone in this world, okay? No, such a label will never belong to me. I am absolutely one with Hashem. I wanna change the way we want to change the way we see ourselves. That's number one. Number two, we want to recognize the difference between our impulses and our behavior. Don't hate on yourself for having toxic impulses or undesired or maybe even shameful, you know, ugly impulses. Instead, focus on choosing every thought, every action. That's where all of our attention, our, our attention needs to be. Number three, Make tefillah a daily charging station for clarity and commitment. Like really take the time every day to clear your mind and make Hashem so real and so true that any diversion from that truth becomes unthinkable, at least during while we're davening. And number four is we can take full responsibility for our every single one of our behaviors. Every thought we think about every word we say, every single thing we do, 
Our behavior is entirely our business. Your behavior is your business. My behavior is my business. And really, it's our only business. And recognize that your body can only act with permission from your mind. So slow down and become aware of that permission. And when we get to chapter 13, we're going to learn more about that. Chapters 12 and 13 are so, 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 so awesome. Um, I'm going to go to the last page and the rest will come back to Amir Tashem after Pesach. But as we, as we get ready for Pesach, I, I, I think it would be wonderful if each of us can walk away from today's learning with a sense of what we can do to bring at least a little bit of this into our lives. And maybe we cannot be a full-fledged Bainani, but each of us could create Bainani moments. And we can do that by practicing the habits of a Bainani. We can have moments of clarity, moments of clarity about Hashem's MS, about Hashem's truth, moments in which from a very deep place inside of ourselves, we commit to live by that truth and to and to really have that commitment so, so strong that any diversion from that truth is unthinkable. We, moments in which we really recognize that we are here in this world by Hashem, with Hashem, for Hashem. And from that place of clarity to make that commitment, I don't want to perpetuate the gullus for one moment longer. All the pain of gullus, all the tragic circumstances that we find ourselves in. I don't want to be part of that problem. I want to be part of the solution, right? I don't want to ignore Hashem's truth. I don't want to deny it. I don't want to reject it. I will do nothing that perpetuates gullus. I will bring on geula by demonstrating Hashem's truth. How do I demonstrate Hashem's truth? By acting on it in my thoughts, in a, every, every choice that we make, minute after minute, day after day. And just these six little um, tidbits um, to practice some of the Bainani habits and a Bainani way of thinking about our behavior. Number one, we want to work on anchoring our minds within Hashem's truth, step by step, day by day. Every day, take a, at least one moment during davening or one bracha that you're going to say or one tefillah, whether it's Shema, whether it's Maida'ani or both of them, or you know, build on it a little bit. Use that time to anchor your mind in Hashem's truth. Number two is take complete responsibility for your behavior. Erev Pesach is a time of stress. It's a time when any pain is going to be aroused. It's triggered. Um, there's so many, um, there's so much joy and there's so much pain. There's so much beauty and there's so much tragedy, um, especially this year when last year, Pesach was such a, such a lonely time and such a desperate time, such a tragic time in so many different ways for all of the Jewish people and the world really was such a dark time. Um, so it, it could be that a lot of, you know, negative stuff, toxic, you know, traumatic circumstances are going to be triggering really big stuff in a lot of us. What we want to do is become aware of where our minds are using that as permission to divert ourselves from the truth we want to live by. And number four, we want to stop the negativity towards ourselves and others. Stop 
calling yourselves bad names. Stop, we have to stop it. Stop the negativity. Stop calling other people's bad names. It, 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 it really perpetuates the darkness. Okay, let's go for questions. Yay, my best part, discussion. But you said it so beautifully. I want to repeat it for the recording. Um, someone is sharing that I am inspired to turn off my phone during davening because, mm -hmm. and the language you use is so beautiful, it annihilates everything I am trying to accomplish during davening. I hear that ding and it totally takes me on a trip and it can and it can go in a hundred different directions other than where I want to be so thank you so much for sharing that the Tanya says that we cannot do something in our bodies unless our mind gives ourselves permission to do it okay that's the actual words that's it's a scientific principle it's not a strategy as a strategy if we want to make something disappear from our lives, we have to make the permission disappear from our minds. That's, and that's not always possible. And because it's not always possible, because sometimes something is so deeply ingrained in our subconsciousness, the permission seems beyond our reach. I can't change it. I do, I do give permission. Seems so hard to let go of that permission. Therefore, we need additional strategies that we will learn about in chapter 13. I'm going to repeat the question. Um, is it true? Could it not, not as true. Is it possible that sometimes our mind will be focused on something and our heart will be somewhere else? That my mind is going to be so centered on Hashem's truth, but my emotions are so strong and they're going to go in a different direction. It's absolutely possible. Because let's just be aware also I'm going to talk about this um, as if it's happening during the day, not during davening. During davening, we start off davening. It could be we started off davening with a very painful heart, with, with a heart filled with pain or the heart filled with resentment or a heart filled with otherness. But if we truly focus our mind on what we are saying and what we're talking about in the words of davening, then our minds cannot be... It's in our minds where we feel the resentment or the pain or the loss or whatever it is that we're feeling. We don't actually feel it in our heart. We usually feel it in our minds that we're aware of that feeling. So at least during davening, we're thinking about Hashem. Um, could it have an impact on our emotions? I, I, I would say that, yes, I would say that it could. But could it be that our heart is so strong that it's so hard that even though my mind is so centered and my heart is still raging, I, it's also true. You know, it could, that, that is also possible. There's no um, immediate change to strong emotions. And that's why we talked about doing an action. Sometimes uh, actually when you do an action that takes that, that gets you out of the whole neighborhood altogether. Then I'm not thinking, I'm not feeling, I'm doing, you know, I'm being. And sometimes that's also very, very helpful. I want to repeat what you say. Someone is saying that um, it's like having a heart with emotions is sometimes like walking a dog. And sometimes you could be walking a dog on a leash and the dog is so big and dog is going in a certain direction. It's hard to go in the direction that you want to go when you're being pulled in another direction entirely. Um, and really davening is what creates, what gives us the leash. Davening gives us the awareness that we're holding the leash 
and it makes the leash attached. It gives us that power, that empowerment to really choose our behavior because that's where we have the clarity about everything, about who we are, about who Hashem is, about what our life is about, and even about where we're going. So thank you very much for sharing that scientific principle which which we can work in our favor by clearing out the junk and the clutter and the toxicity from our minds um, we can work in our favor because it's our minds that give our bodies permission to engage in any behavior so the work that we talked about today is cle clearing out our minds of anything that contradicts the absolute truth of Hashem. And that's a daily practice that influences our bodies, our behavior, our day in the greatest way. There's nothing more powerful than starting off your day with even five minutes of focusing on the truth with such intense focus that we literally declutter that. So that awareness is everything. Now, in a moment of like, I'm feeling pulled into otherness, you know, um, for me personally, there's so many different tools that you could use, but what label am I wearing is always a good, very big question because that's, you know, that triangle that we have, like, you know, who am I and who Hashem is and all that. So who, who am I? How am I seeing myself is for me very much like, am I seeing myself as powered by Hashem? Or is, you know, that's, that's for me, a personally, that, that's a very big question that brings me right back into where I want to be. But aside from that question, doing any action, a proactive action of connection, something that brings on joy, you know, whatever, getting out of your head, anything that gets you out of your head, calling up a friend, doing an act of kindness for another person, it's a great question. Someone's asking about how do we, can I give an example of rewriting our story of a traumatic event that happened in the past? So let me not go back to very past. Okay. We just had, everybody had Corona last year. Okay. You could have two different kalas, two different brides. One person could have written her story as like, poor me. I was a victim of circumstances. I had, all my life, I was dreaming about this wedding and I'm going to be surrounded by friends and family. And then the big night came. And honestly, there was nothing magical about it. I was alone. I was just, you know, with a few people and there was a sense of fear in the ear and everybody was wearing masks and we didn't know if we could have the wedding, if we can't have the wedding. And there was so much stress. And that's a very, very um, traumatic memory. Or if we I just told the story as if Hashem was not in the room. Imagine if I could bring Hashem into the room and rewrite the story from that perspective. You know, all my life, I wanted this wedding. Hashem had a different plan and I was in Hashem's hands the whole time. And look at what Hashem did for me to make it work, even though the circumstances, the world was in such a terrible place, but like this little detail worked out and that little detail worked out and the other little detail worked out and we could really rewrite our stories to be happy ones. You know, we, we celebrated a bris last year during, you know, during this time. 
And from one perspective, it was a very lonely simcha, you know? It was just immediate family and there was nobody else there. And you could look at that and say, you know, poor, poor me, poor us that we had, you know, poor this baby, what a lonely bris, like as if it was in the Soviet Union, you know, like there was nobody there and, 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 and everyone was distant. And, or you could say it was such an intimate, special, private, fear and the world was in chaos but we were in joy and we had this beautiful baby and you know everybody was healthy even though there was so much unhealthiness or do you hear the difference i think these are good examples because the differences are so clear but it it's really up to every single one of us i just use my own imagination both on both sides you know but it's, um, it's up to each and every one of us to look at our lives and say, where was Hashem in that? And how was he helping me? Where was his love? How was he protecting me? Okay, I'm going to ask the question. Sorry for the recording. So for somebody who is new to this, how do we build and develop an awareness of Hashem's presence in our lives? How do we develop that consciousness? The simplest answer is, yeah, taking time every single day to think about Hashem, ideas that we know about Hashem, and making those ideas very personal. I want to recommend if you could listen to that six-part series that we just had. It was called Upgrade to Awesome. Um, it's on, or watch them. They're, the the videos are out. The you know the recordings are on the hotline, um, and the videos are out as well. Um, because over there we do it in a step-by-step, more practical way. But um, in a nutshell, the most powerful tool is literally thinking about Hashem. And, you know, you're going to walk away and some of you are going to just run into your busy day. But if you can take a walk today at some point um, or while you're washing your dishes or do while you're doing some sort of activity that's mindless, that's essentially, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't take your brain space, not like organizing that you have to concentrate on what you're doing, but something that's like, that frees your mind, even while your body is doing something. If you can take time to like, really apply what we learned today to your personal situation, that connection is called DAS. That means that I, I, it's not just an idea that's abstract. It's something that is part of me, part of my life, part of my day. And when you do that about Hashem, like you think, oh, wow, Hashem is great. That's very nice. But Hashem is not great. Where do I see that greatness in my life? Hashem is in charge of the whole world. Okay, so this cup of water is here because of Hashem, by the grace and kindness of Hashem. And in that moment, Hashem is not just a power in the heavens, but a power on my table, literally. And, and that becomes more personal and little by little every time you do this it literally it adds up and it builds one minute builds on the other minute a little bit of awareness builds more awareness until it floods our heart if you're taking the action you're creating the opportunity to have at least one moment during those 10 minutes you might have one minute where you're actually going to be there present you're going to be you're you're going to be alert and to say it's not worth it is you're not even giving yourself the opportunity right to do that. Um, the act of davening, you know, sometimes we just show up. <laughs> and just the act of came, you, you put aside, you had a hundred other things you could have been doing in that moment, but you took your siddur and you sat down or you stood up and you davened. 
You know, at least you showed up. Could you show up with your heart too? Maybe, you know, but this is a first step. You're, you're there and, 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 and there's definitely quality to it for sure. And the, the fact is also Shema is a mitzvah. You know, saying the Shema is a mitzvah. So doing a mitzvah connects us with Hashem on a, on a deep level, on a, on a Shema level. That's, that's, that's bigger than words could describe. Yeah, and obviously the goal is to use the opportunity after, if you're there anyway. Thank you all for being part of this wonderful group. And I'm looking forward to being here. We'll talk about matzah. Thank you, thank you again for joining.